All right, guys. So this morning is the third Sunday of Advent. And each week in Advent, uh, as you know, the candle that we light kind of gives us the uh, theme, the Advent theme for both that day, but also for the week. Uh, the Advent devotions, the daily devotions, if you picked one up or you're getting them in your email, uh, they follow these themes for the week. And so this candle that we lit today is a candle of joy. And joy is what we're going to be talking about today. And as we engage in this kind of thought about joy and what it means, and what it means hopefully to have in our lives, um, what I'd like to do is to start with a kind of um, exercise for a second, okay? And what I'd just like you to do, this isn't, there's not, we're not going to do like a trust exercise, you don't have to fall or like anything else, I don't mean that kind of thing, but I just want you to think in your life about a moment when you would say that you experienced joy. I'd like you to think back on your life, when would be a time when you would say that you experienced joy? That didn't mean that you had like a swell day one day. I don't just mean like when you were happy for a moment, although those moments are good, but I'm talking about joy. Like when did you experience joy in your life? I want you to think about the circumstances that went into it. I asked some people this week, and I just sort of said, tell me about a time when you experienced joy and what went into that, and I got a variety of responses. Uh, for instance, one person reminded me that I live in Austin, Texas now, because they said, I said, you know, when did joy happen? And they're like, the Rose Bowl. When Vince Young scored a touchdown and UT won their last national championship, they're like, they're, they, were, they were at the game, they had flown to the Pasadena, they were at the Rose Bowl, they were like, there was UT fans going nuts in the stadium. Uh, they said there was no one there in the stadium who was a UT fan or probably watching on TV that was like, that was swell. They were like, it was joy. Like, people were like losing their minds. It was joy. I asked somebody else, and they said that joy for them was when they were on one knee asking the woman that they wanted to spend the rest of their lives with to marry them. I said, and I asked the question, I'm sitting there on one knee, and it felt like two and a half months between when I asked the question and when she answered. But when she said yes, I said that was joy. I asked somebody else, and they said, when I had decided on the college that I wanted to go to, and I knew it was gonna be a stretch, and my junior year and the first semester of my senior year, I had really worked and I would really hoped for this and I really thought God wanted it for me, and then the letter came, and as I waited to click on and open the response, I was looking at the computer screen, they said I felt fear and I felt nervousness, and when I opened it and was accepted and got a scholarship, they said I felt joy. And with the scholarship, her parents felt joy at how it was all going to go. You know, when you stop and think about joy, as we think about it for a second, there's something tied in about joy that also deals in the fact that oftentimes when joy really comes to us, when it, um, when it kind of like flows out of us in those moments, there's something about the fact that there's a degree of uncertainty that's tied in with it, Right? There's something about it that it's like you don't know how something's going to go, how something's going to turn out. Is this going to be an acceptance letter or not to college? You know your life's about to change no matter what the letter holds, but you don't know. You don't know if this person is going to say yes to spending their life with you. You didn't know that Vince Young was going to score. 
There's something about this joy that comes from us that is tied in with the idea that we're not really certain how things are going to go in a given moment. Joy is tied in with that. I want you to hold on to that. When I think about joy, um, I think about the church that I worked in before uh, coming here to, uh, to Covenant in one specific example. Uh, it, it, many of you know this. The, the church that I worked in in Atlanta before coming here was a church that we started. Uh, we started in our home with seven people, which is to this day the most frightening thing that we've ever done. It was like this awesome idea until it started. And then you're like, what are we doing? Like, what is happening here? Because you're having church in your living room with seven people. And one of them was a young family with like two young children. Like, so what are we doing with children? You're like, I don't know. But we're going to have to figure that one out. That feels like a pretty major one we have to figure out. And so our children's ministry became the children watching Veggie Tales upstairs in my daughter's bedroom while we met down. So like, that was our whole children's ministry. Not this church, but I've worked in other churches. That would have been an upgrade from the children's ministry was there. Not covenant. Um, but in that church, in the years that we did it, it moved three different times. We met in three different locations. The first was in our home. And then we had to make a move, and we moved to um, a, a church in Atlanta called First Presbyterian Church. That wasn't too scary of a move because we were keeping the time the same, and we moved to a location. And First Presbyterian was this amazing church. And what they said to us, they heard about this church we were starting, and they said, could we support it in any way? And I said, well, I don't know. And they said, uh, do, you, do you have a place to go after your house? And we thought, no, we, haven't got, we don't have a children's ministry, and we don't know where we're going after our living room. And they said, well, what if you came and met in our chapel? And it was awesome. They didn't charge us rent. They uh, let us use their children's area. They just said, the one thing you can't do is use it on Sunday mornings because we're using it. And so we started meeting at First Presbyterian Church at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in their chapel, had access to their children's area. It was this amazing gift. And so we were there for a few years, but then the church started growing. And so we made a big decision. We said, we're going to move again because we need more space. But the other thing is we're going to move from Sunday afternoon to a Sunday morning time. And this was the time where we were making a big leap. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like, it's like the move from our house to First Press felt like we were still kind of in our parents' basement at some point. Like we were kind of okay. We were sort of living independently, but not really. But this was the moment where it's like, okay, we're striking out on our own here. So we had to go look at property. We had to decide that we want to try to buy something, uh, which we couldn't afford to do. So that was a quick conversation. So we were going to rent something. And we looked at like warehouses and we looked at kind of different settings. And finally, somebody found out about this hundred year old church building in a transitional neighborhood in a, in a different part of Atlanta. And we went and visited it. And there was something about it when we were there that the, those of us who were there, uh, and we were a Presbyterian church, we had a committee, and the committee went and looked at it together. And, uh, and we looked at it, and we voted on it, and we did follow Robert's rules and everything else, and we voted, and we said, we want to try this. Because there was something in this building that's like, this just feels like what God wants us to do. Now, in many ways, it didn't make sense. It was further away from the people who were driving to our church than where we had been before. So whereas the drive to First Pres had been like 15 minutes, now we were asking him to drive like 25 minutes to get to this area. It was in this sort of rundown building that had not had a church in it in decades. It had become a place where there was a homeless ministry and a food co-op and a daycare, but the sanctuary was not being used on Sunday mornings. So it was like used throughout the week. And we were just, it, it had room for us on Sunday mornings. But there was something wonderful about it. Many of you have heard me talk about Steve Hayner before, who was a friend and a mentor to me. Steve was a part of our church. He was the only, it's one of the only times I can ever remember disagreeing with him. I brought him down there to see it, and it was like moldy, and the church was old, and it was a long way away, and there's no parking lot or anything else. And, uh, and he, we, we toured it, and he goes, and he said, I think this is a major mistake. 
And it's like the only time where I'm like, I know, but I just, I think God's calling us to do it. And we've had a committee and they've looked at it and da, 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 da. And in the end, we made the jump. Of all the moments in starting Kairos, that was probably the morning that was the most scary to me. Because we were changing location and we were changing time. Imagine, and I'm not making this announcement now. I want to be clear I'm not making this announcement now. I'm just saying as a hypothetical, imagine if we announced today that starting next month, Covenant was going to be meeting on South Congress at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. There probably are not a lot of you who would be going, oh, that's what I've been waiting for, right? So when we announced to our church that met at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to be meeting this other part of the city, and it's now going to be not on Sunday afternoons, it's going to be in the morning, it was a mixed reaction at best. And I remember driving there the first morning and being scared out of our mind that we had messed this whole thing up. And I went to the back and I was kind of, kind of going through the sermon and then I was praying for a little while and I still remember the moment when I walked out to see if anyone was there. And when I walked out, and not only were pretty much everyone who had been at Kairos made the move with us, but we actually had a number of people that had not come before that were visiting that day. You saw the church just kind of get bigger uh, with that day. That moment to me was joy. Because I was scared out of my mind before I walked into the sanctuary. And I didn't sit there and walk out and go, oh, that's swell. It was like, oh, God, thank you. We believe you've called us to this. And, and, and it was, you know what I mean? It was joy, but it was tied in with the uncertainty. I bet if you stop and think about it in your life, when you have really experienced joy, there has been a moment of kind of uncertainty before that of how is this going to go? That is all tied in with this candle that's lit in the theme for today and this week, this Advent theme of joy. So in every place in your life right now where you're feeling uncertain, when you look at our world and feel uncertain, this candle burns today for us. Okay? Now, the scripture passage we're going to look at to dive in a little bit more is from uh, Luke chapter 1. We're still in Luke 1, the third uh, week of this series that we're going to journey through uh, Luke over about six months to just kind of learn more about our faith and learn more about Jesus. And this is the text from verses 39 to 56. It says this. It says, In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, no matter who we are or how we walked in here, no matter what questions or doubts we have in our mind right now, no matter what hopes or dreams we have with us, I pray that right now you, the living God, would speak to us all so that we would not leave here today the same way we came in. May we encounter you and be changed forever. 
We pray this through the power of your spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill Derek with a little bit of anxiety. We're going to walk through this scripture, and as best you can, just try to keep the scripture up that we're talking about in, a, in the moment, um, because it's going to be important that we see the movement throughout the scripture, because this is a lot of verses. We just read 17 verses, and it's a, it's a kind of long passage, but it happens in a very, very, very small amount of time. Okay, Luke, when he's writing this, he's, he's really saying that these moments are critical. And so he gives a lot of detail to what is kind of uh, chronologically a very, like a matter of, of seconds and minutes. And Luke's going, you've got to see what's taking place here for many reasons, including to understand joy. Now, what we'll see in the first verses is that we're back with Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary who are there. Now, the way that this series has worked and what we've seen in Luke chapter 1 up till now is that in the first two weeks, Gabriel has showed up twice, okay? Two Sundays ago, we saw that at the beginning of Luke, he shows up with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth, if you remember, were married. Zechariah is a priest, and he is in the temple in one of the holy days of the year when as he's in the temple doing his priestly duties, that God uh, sends Gabriel to him. And Gabriel says to him, you and your wife, Elizabeth, will have a child, a son. And as we talked about two weeks ago, this is a miracle for them because uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been struggling with infertility for years. They've not been able to have children. Zechariah, they're, they're old enough now that Zechariah is not expecting to have a child anymore. He says to Gabriel in the temple, how is this possible? Because we're, in, we're elderly and we can't do this anymore. And God through Gabriel, essentially says to him, with God all things are possible. But because you doubted, and it feels a little harsh on Gabriel's part, I'm going to silence you. You're not going to be able to speak again until your son is born so that you know it's me. And Gabriel says, you will name your son John. He has a specific purpose. His purpose is that the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming, and John will be one who will go before him to prepare the way. He becomes John the Baptist. Now, when we think about this, when we see Zechariah and Elizabeth here, we need to understand, if you imagine people who are older, who had been praying for a child and not able to have a child, and you knew this wound and you knew this pain that they carried, when other people found out, when other priests found out, when people in their village found out that they were pregnant, they were surprised by it, but my guess is they were really excited for them. Until John the Baptist got older and started talking, and then they didn't like it anymore, right? But until he started talking and preaching, they really were excited for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was clear God had done something. That's week one. Week two, you see Mary that's here. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that Gabriel shows up again. One of the things we're going to ask you to do in studying a book, the Bible, is you're going to look for threads, common threads that sort of link it together so it's not these random stories. One of the threads you can immediately pick up on is if you like your life, you don't want Gabriel to show up. Because when Gabriel shows up, it's not going to be just like a quick greeting and then like, hey, I just want to give you a thumbs up and an attaboy and then kind of chuck you on the shoulder and go on. Gabriel shows up and just like with Elizabeth and Zechariah, Mary's life changes completely. But from public perception, it's totally the opposite of Elizabeth and Zechariah. People were thrilled for Elizabeth and Zechariah that this couple, this respected couple in their village was having a child. When Mary finds out she's going to have a baby, she is an unwed teenager engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And the reaction of the village and the reaction of her family and the reaction of her friends is most likely going to be wholly different from what Zechariah and Elizabeth. People are not going to be excited for her. It is going to be scandalous. 
The best case scenario, as we talked about last week, is that Mary was going to probably be sh- just live a life of public shame and humiliation, as would her baby. Joseph will break off the engagement, most likely. Why would he not? Her parents might disown her. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that Mary, by law, could have been stoned for getting pregnant before she was married. So these are the two things you have coming out, these, these two sort of strands, okay? You've got Elizabeth and Zechariah that Gabriel showed up to, and you have Mary. Now, Mary and Elizabeth are married, and the only clue that Mary gets about how things are going to work out is Gabriel says to her, your relative Elizabeth is going to have a baby as well. That's the only thing Mary gets. Gabriel never looks at her and says, I know you could be stoned. I know you're going to be humiliated. I know you're going to have shame. Don't worry. I'm going to tell you how it all works out. Gabriel doesn't give her any of that. But what he does say is, your relative Elizabeth has had a visit from me as well. And she in her old age is going to be having a baby. That's what's led up till now. Okay? So what we see is it says, in those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. I loved it moving to Texas, reading this now. That's like somewhere near Lady Lodge or Mo Ranch out in the hill country where uh, she went. But Mary, what, and you see, in those days, and what that means is, is that immediately when this happened, Mary was probably so excited, scared, uh, all of the above, that it says she immediately leaves in those immediate days, and she sets out by herself, leaving her parents behind, and goes to, uh, out into the hill country where she heard Uh, and entered the house of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, I want you to imagine this as we're talking about joy today. I think why Luke is writing about this in such detail is he wants you to imagine what that was like for Mary. The only clue that God gives her of how this might work out is somehow tied with Elizabeth. That is the only thing she has to hold on to, is maybe making some sense of this. And so she goes, and you imagine her standing outside the door of Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. Imagine what that feeling was like. Your life is about to change, except for Mary, her life actually hung in the balance. You imagine how fast she's breathing. You imagine her heart rate, what it is at that moment. Because what happens if this is the only way she can make sense of this if she opens the door and Elizabeth and Zechariah look at her and have no idea what's going on? What happens if Elizabeth and Zechariah find out what's going on and they heap shame upon her too? You imagine what she must have been feeling as she stood outside that doorway, a walk-in. It's one of those moments that you get in life to go, your life is about to change. Is it for the better or worse? You don't know. But your life is about to change as you walk in this door. Feel that uncertainty that's there? Of how does this go? We see here that then Elizabeth, when, she, when Mary walks into the house, it says that the child, some very quick things happen, in, okay, in a matter of seconds. The first is it says that when Mary walks into the house and greets Elizabeth, it says that the child, the one who will become John the Baptist, says the child leaps in her womb, which is just this wondrous image, right? The child leaps for joy in her womb, and Elizabeth, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then immediately Elizabeth speaks these words, not knowing Mary's coming, and she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? And you imagine what that's like for Elizabeth in that moment with everything hanging on the balance to walk in and to have that immediate response of Elizabeth. 
that Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and says, blessed are you. Number two is, blessed is your child. Mary's very early in pregnancy. She wouldn't have been showing her anything yet. And so Elizabeth knows what's going on and says that it is a blessed thing, not a shameful thing. And finally, she says, is that the mother of my Lord. So she affirms to Mary that not just does she know that she's going to be having this baby, but she knows that this baby is a holy one, the Messiah, the child of our Lord. This is what Mary experiences. And that is joy. And joy then erupts from Mary in the next slide. And it goes into a passage of scripture that's known as the Magnificat. And you might want to read it this week on your own along with the devotion. Now, there's two parts of the Magnificat I want to just talk about very, very quickly when we see joy. The first part is that moment. It's the Vince Young moving into the end zone, except probably 10 times bigger than that, okay? Because what happens is Mary immediately responds. It's almost this relief. I mean, if you imagine it, you can almost feel it in her, right? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices, for he has looked with favor on the loneliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, there's a lot of me language in there from Mary. It's not that she's like all of a sudden self-centered, but there's this moment where I think it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be okay. And God really has done this thing he's promised. You can feel like the joy, that, that eruption of joy that comes. But it's the second part that I want to pay attention to for a minute because it says something that I hope all of us can take with us today is that Mary then moves after it says, and you'll see that line, and holy is his name. She makes a shift in the Magnificat. It's a really, really important change. And then she moves bigger because the Messiah is not just given to her. It's not like God's going, hey, Mary, I've got this like wonderful little favor just for you. But this baby is the savior for the world, the son of the most high, Gabriel says. Mary then expands it and shows his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the power from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away. What he's doing there is Mary is making this shift. She's making this shift from saying God has done this wondrous thing to me to an expansion to God has not only done this, but God's promises for what we face today have purpose. She's connecting something that's really important. She's connecting that God has been faithful to me in this uncertain circumstance. And what I can do is then apply that to the world around me at this moment. That it's bigger than just me and what God's done up to this point, but it's what God's doing with what we face now. Because Mary, like you and I, and much more so than you and I, did not live in an ivory tower. She was lived under a military rule of Rome. She lived in an age where there was great brutality. She lived in an age where there were all kinds of problems and injustices. There were all kinds of things going on in the world that was a part of her daily life. There were people that were hungry. There were people that were lonely. There were people who were forgotten. They lived in a time, like all times, where there is division and injustice and bigotry and hatred all around. And she takes this moment of looking at what God has done and says, imagine what God will do. Going forward, that is joy. How is it joy? My favorite quote on joy comes from C.S. Lewis. 
C.S. Lewis says that joy and happiness are not necessarily the same thing. Happiness is just an emotion. It's a good emotion. It's good to be happy. But happiness is based on circumstances. If I make good grades, if I get into the right school, blah, 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 yeah, everything's going to be okay. I'm happy then. Lewis says that joy is different, that joy is deeper than happiness. You can have joy even when things are hard and life isn't working out. Because C.S. Lewis described and defined joy as the presence of purpose. I want you to listen to that again, because that's really, joy is the presence of purpose. This candle that you guys lit, the candle of joy, is not primarily a candle of emotions and just really good feelings. There are emotions that are part of it, but emotions are come, they're not the base of it. The basis is what we're proclaiming is God is still doing something in this world. As God has redeemed, so God is redeeming. As God has answered our prayers, so God will continue to answer our prayers. That God's purposes are being worked out. That's the declaration we're making today. And it applies to us as well. If you've been here for a while, you know that I like to end sermons with like a to-do. Think about this this week. Do this differently this week. What this can look like. This isn't a to-do list this week. The promise that God's purposes are being worked out when we look at our nation, when we look at our world, when we look at our own lives and the struggles that we have, when we look at our families and the struggles that they have, when we look at our loved ones and the struggles they have, when we look where there is hunger, when we look at where there is poverty, when we look at where there is hatred, when we look at where there is injustice, what this candle says is that none of that will be the end of the story. That God's purpose will redeem all things. And so I'd like you today to make the same move that Mary makes. I'd like you to think about the moments that have brought you joy. Where God has shown up and opened a door, where joy has just been real in the face of uncertainty. And I'd like you to apply that as you look forward to what you and I face today. Joy is real. May you receive it as a gift this day and always. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask this day that we would take the uncertain parts of our life, the parts where we have questions, the parts where we have fears, the parts where we don't know how things work out, as we look at our nation and the divisions that exist here, as we look at our world and the divisions and the injustices that we see all around, may this day and even this week, may we have joy, even in the face of that pain and that uncertainty. May we have joy that comes from the promise that you are not absent from any of it. And that as you have been faithful in the past in uncertain situations, that you will be again and that you will redeem all things, for you are faithful to us all. This world you love. We pray that that message would dwell within our hearts and that we would have joy. We pray for this, that we would receive this news and treasure it in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.